My cat just bit me. Ouch. <laughs> He's done playing. <laughs> Feed me. Feed me some more. That's exactly what he wants, food. Okay. Well, Careful once they taste blood. I know, right? Human blood. Next thing you know, your liver's gone. <laughs> uh, vampire in my home. I'm scared to sleep now. <laughs> and we're off the rails already. <laughs> definitely a serious podcast. I don't know what to say anymore. I just don't know. <laughs> Welcome to the Mac DevOps YVR podcast. This podcast is about the Mac DevOps YVR conference in beautiful Vancouver, British Columbia. We interview guests and discuss topics around managing Macs using open source software products inspired by DevOps. Our goal is to encourage developers and IT to work together to solve problems for our community. For more information, see our website, mdoyvr.com. This is the Mac DevOps podcast. Welcome to the Mac DevOps podcast, where we talk about the Mac DevOps YVR conference and all the cool things in between Mac Dev and Ops, and usually security. Security is the unpronounced syllable in Mac DevOps. Um, <laughs> it's there, but we don't really talk about it. But it's there. We truly, truly think about it, and it's important. We have two wonderful co-hosts, the amazing Shauna. How are you doing, Shauna? Oh, I'm hanging 10. How you doing, JD? Uh, I was gonna say, how you doing, JD? <laughs> but JD, how Mask are you? <laughs> I'm doing well. Dun, dun, dun. Okay. I'm good. Word, <laughs> awkward. We, we totally, <laughs> totally know who we are. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> good to see you too, Shauna. <laughs> um, how's it going, brother JD? I'm doing well, brother Matt. <laughs> Apparently we're we're replaceable. Well, you are smarter and more organized, but I am beautiful and well, I don't think I have any other skills. Today we are joined by Ben Greisler and Aspen Lindblom. Ben, how's it going? I'm pretty well, surviving, surviving, and uh, glad to be here. Truly, truly am. I appreciate the invite. Aspen, how's it going? It's going all right. Today we are talking to two speakers that are presenting at Mac DevOps 2021. I'm really excited. It's in one week. I can't believe it. I hope we're ready, everybody. Looks menacingly at JD. We're ready, right? Sure. <laughs> Shauna, we're ready, right? About as ready as we're going to be, right? <laughs> awesome. Yeah. I, uh, I thank, uh, thank my lucky stars. Every day I have such a great team to help me because I need all the help I can get. Thanks, JD. Thanks, Shauna. This has been a, a labor of love, and uh, thanks over all the years. It's been seven seven years of conferences, and you've helped with one or two of them. So thanks. You're welcome. Ben, would you like to introduce yourself? Sure, sure. Ben Greisler, been around this industry for a while now, and uh, I've always really felt lucky to have been able to work with and and. Uh, meet people such as the folks on this podcast. You know, they have helped me learn what I've needed to learn to help support my customers. And I've been doing a lot of work over the years with uh, storage and media solutions and kind of your standard Mac stuff, but also a lot of enterprise level activities. And it's been a fun ride. It's really been an interesting ride. The industry keeps changing and 
he's forcing me to change with it. So uh, I'm happy to be here and, you know, maybe explain a little bit what I've learned over the years. And maybe somebody else will find that interesting and, and useful. If not, maybe humorous. I don't know. Well, I want to thank you for agreeing to present and share some of your fun uh, adventures in the clouds with us, Ben. I think this conference was designed for people like you and me, where we're used to building on-prem storage and building that kind of stuff. And then the world is changing, evolving, and uh, the clouds, uh, other people's data centers, software as a service, it's all evolving. And uh, yeah, I, I, <laughs> I built this for uh, the IT people that are stuck in the office and want to go to the clouds and want to learn about what it is about DevOps, what it is about, you know, working in, across teams and collaboration and uh, getting off of the on-prem, which was yeah. a, a big thing 20 years ago, 10 years ago. And, you know, and the pandemic has helped speed everyone <laughs> away from the on-premise uh, installations and into the clouds to share and collaborate. So you'll be here to share what you know and, uh, and learn some new stuff too, I bet. Absolutely, really looking forward to it. We're, we're in a grand new time and uh, it's a perfect, perfect time to learn some new things and see what other people have done. So awesome. looking forward to it. Thank you, Ben. And Aspen, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. And thank you amazingly, a thousand percent for agreeing to speak at uh, Mac DevOps. We are always looking for new speakers. And over the last couple, couple of years, is always trying to get uh, security speakers and people that can t uh, speak about that amazingly deep uh, subject. So thank you for agreeing to come to Mac DevOps virtually this year and sharing some of the stuff that you've learned. And uh, yeah, please introduce yourself and tell us about what a day in the, the life of Aspen is. Uh. Excellent. Yes. Hi, my name is Aspen Lindblom. I currently work at CrowdStrike as a threat analyst. And uh, just, I want to give some context before that, you know, I was in IT for a number of years. I don't want to say because I don't want to age myself. And, we, you know, IT, mostly Windows, and I did Mac stuff because no one else wanted to do it. So it was like me and one other person out of like 30 people who touched Mac and everyone's like, oh no, Mac, uh. And <laughs> I thought that was just like an IT thing. Um, but when I switched to cybersecurity, there was also a thing there too. It was like, oh, Mac, uh. So I accidentally fell into uh, tracking Mac adware. And, you know, I just, I, I always probably like a fault of mine. I don't say no. So when I, because I don't say no, I, I get to look at things, especially with Mac malware. And I'm just like, wow, I have no idea what I'm doing. And this is so just mysterious. And you're just, you know, digging more and more into it. And um, it's what's amazing is that a lot of at least the, at least the adware and Mac malware that I look into for Mac, they do a lot of the same bit, like, you know, uh, behaviors, scripting that, uh, you know, your, develop your developers would do or your DevOps would do. So it's interesting how they sneak in there and, and to make it look like they're also, you know, just a normal regular user, a normal regular activity. So I find that fascinating. I want to uncover it. I want to just, you know, rabbit hole so hard down that um, and, and then to just to share what I've learned with other people to educate them because it's, I don't like that. It's like, oh, Mac, uh, you know, <laughs> that, that like just hesitancy, that fear. It's just, you know, just understanding and learning about it. It's fun. I'm so glad that you could join us and that you're uh, hanging out with the Mac kids. We love it. I definitely feel almost out of place because I'm like, you guys are the Mac experts and I'm just like here. <laughs> you know, I'm just saying, I'm definitely not an expert. <laughs> well, if I, can, if I can make one statement about CrowdStrike, I was really impressed by how they took Mac deployment seriously 
I started working with a, a customer and a little more than a year ago. Actually, yeah, it had to be a year and a half ago at this point. They had defined CrowdStrike as the, the product to use. And I'm like, oh, okay. You know, usually deploying these things are a real challenge. And I'm like, wait a second. They've given me everything I've needed to know, the, the developer ID, all the things that you need for a mass deployment. And it was all in one place and it was perfectly laid out. So I was actually really impressed that they took the Mac market seriously enough to provide that information. Yeah. Nice. And the MDM stuff, the, the development mm-hmm. or the guides for MDM development. Yeah. Yep. Nice. It's definitely something we complain about uh, a lot as sysadmins in IT is about bad installers. And in the old days when I was in visual effects, it was a lot of custom installers. And I guess there's still some companies that use sort of a cross-platform custom installer that makes sense for them, but is hell for Mac users that want to deploy, you know, something maybe that when a user's not even, in, you know, logged in. So that's certain conditions, you know, uh, exist for Mac sysadmins that may not exist for the developer's mindset when they're developing an installer. Ben, what company do you work for? My company's name is, is Catamac Corp, and we have been doing, if you wanted to break it down, we, we help enterprise companies integrate Apple technologies into their typically Microsoft backends. And this has been an ongoing kind of theme for the company. You know, we started off like with the standard Macintosh users, uh, people who were in graphics or or marketing kind of the standard Macintosh things, but just the way that the career went kind of got lucky, got involved with some really, really big projects for some really, really big companies and started to specialize with helping them out. And yes, sometimes we're just dealing with maybe like the pod of Mac users and, you know, it could be 10, could be 200, depends on the size of the company. But now as choices are starting to be given, meaning it's not, here's your Dell laptop, and maybe we'll let you have an iPhone if you really, really, really want it. Now there's just entire fleets of iPhones, entire fleets of whatever it is the users want to use. So more and more, as people are given the choice of platform, they're picking Macs. So... Now, companies that had just a handful of Apple technologies have hundreds and thousands of devices with with Apple logos on the back of them, and they're pretty smart people. They really know what they're doing. They've built beautiful support systems in in their, their data centers, and now they're just asking, well, how do we make these Macs work? How do we make these iPads work? How do we get these iPhones to do what we want? And that's where we have helped them out. Uh, on top of that, we do a lot of what we always have done with data integration, you know, getting the, the data workflows, because in the side that I help, we're typically talking much larger data sets, whether it's video or graphics or collections of information that are just typically larger than your standard, oh, here's some Word documents, here are some Excel documents, some PowerPoints, stuff like that. So that's really kind of cross-platform, and we've been able to help out just across the board with that type of work. So that's what we do. That's what we do. That's awesome. 
So Aspen, with all these Macs in Enterprise, is this a huge new uh, target vector for malware? Why, why do we have malware, you know? Well, that is a really good question. For at least with, with CrowdStrike, coming from like the uh, you know, AV, uh, EDR perspective, uh, we've always been, you know, doing detections on Mac. But, you know, every single, I would say, year, quarter, there's always efforts to improve our detections. And I've just been in there mostly out of curiosity because I want to learn. It's, it's, a new, it's, it's a new platform, it's a new OS and new processes to learn. And it's kind of like the unknown because people, people think that there isn't malware or adware. You're not going to get hacked. But you can, especially when you have, like what Ben mentioned, when you have multiple devices at play, when you have iPhones. I've read some pretty nasty disclosures where it's like, you know, nation state actors will hack someone's iPhone. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, just reading the report, it just makes my mind just expand and explode. It's just phenomenal. And, and it just shows that there's so much more to learn, so much more to uncover. And I feel like this uh, in terms of like, adware, uh, not just adware, but like just antivirus and detection, uh, there's a lot of, it's immature, right? And there's more growth in this area on Mac, definitely. Or not growth, but opportunities of baddies, you know, getting into your network. <laughs> so there, there is, the onus is on us as AV vendors to do better to stop that. I, th I think it's a fascinating task that you have because when you look at how these infections or attacks have happened, it's almost always been a weakness with a human. They've allowed something to happen. And just that you have to be you know, right up on the technology side of it. You know, how do we detect it? You know, where, where are the footprints? Where are the fingerprints? What can we do? But how in the world do we help a human not make a mistake? That has got to be a, just a fascinating approach because the, the human always is sort of the, the weakest part of the system and the most stubborn. And to try to train a human versus trying to train a machine to do something, that's a really tough job. Uh, that's, it's just got to be a fascinating uh, process for you. It is. And this isn't a, an example of a Mac infection. This is personal experience here as a parent. My son, big on Minecraft, he's a teenager or preteen, and he was downloading some Minecraft mods and he was just, you know, Googling Minecraft mods and he didn't realize that what he clicked on was an ad and not actually the website that he wanted to go to. And this mod he downloaded wasn't really a good mod. It was um, filled adware that then hijacked his Chrome browser. But because he has Chrome synced on his phone as well, it spread to his phone. So he had infection. That we had, we had, I had to clean up on both his machine and his phone. And I was so mad as a parent. I'm like, how dare they like target children? Like this was a Minecraft mod. I was so offended as a parent, just offended. This is something that I have to teach my clients. And, you know, I'm so happy that I use like a combination of monkey, monkey report and no admins. If you download something and just install whatever, you know, then that, that can be, um, that can be problematic. So mm -hmm. I, I remember back in you know university doing a documentary research class, which was the most boring of all, but just thinking of your source, where, what is your source of a book, of a website, of a link, you know, what is the source of this, you know, download, you know, examining and considering what you're downloading. So 
uh, you know, I remember seeing half of a malware installed that was installed by a user, but it wasn't didn't have admin privileges, but it was half installed. And I'm like, what is this? You know, it's like, you know, it's like they Googled for a piece of software that was in Monkey that was already installed. You know, it's like, you know, the nice thing about having Monkey or I guess Jam for other software like that, where you have pre-vetted software and, and a self-service portal, which allows you to go, this has been pre-vetted. We've checked it out. Download as needed. First thing I did for the pandemic was install a, a Monkey Monkey Report server for my kids and deployed them laptops for their homeschooling when we had to do that. It's never ending this, uh, you know, because the, the AdWare servers are getting infected. There's lots mm -hmm. of lots of ways to get in. Um, but yeah, I don't want to blame users too much because I had uh, users that were using a NAS and they got attacked, but it wasn't through human fault per se. It was like, they're, you know, People are using Shodan and other search engines to find things with declared exploits and then searching across the internet to find all exploitable devices. And in a very rapid time, whether it's an exchange server or a NAS or some kind of nanny cam, people will use an exploit, you know. Yeah. What's the most insidious kind of like adware or malware that you found so far for Max? It was the uh, X. CS set that one where it just like slipped its way into like a package that's been used by developers and then like developers were shipping out software with code like that's the most I would say just the supply chain types attacks those are the most insidious ones right now professionally but personally for me it's when they target children and that's why and you Matt already touched upon about you know monitoring which is great in my presentation, I'm, I'm going to, you know, talk about monitoring or, you know, talk about how it's important as well as user education. You know, the two of that goes hand in hand because you're right. Sometimes it's not the user's fault. It just happens. You know, maybe they had uh, ran an application that, again, has was the developer was infected. And then now you have um, malware, you know, which is what happens with SolarWinds as well. So I, I've been going out and like trying to teach kids like going like getting into their minds at an early age so we have a generation of that just prepared because this is going to be their life so i 100 believe that uh, a lot of it is just social engineering too yep. you know you land on these pages like your son did and just click on things that look to be the right thing i mean we probably get hundreds of emails every day that that look like they're coming from your bank or your credit card company and and they're not they're taking you to bad places and it's, it's all social engineering and it used to be very easy to find but now it's they're actually getting better about the english language right yeah i think a lot of us are in a hurry i mean whether you're a kid scouring for you know data packs and you know mods for minecraft you know this, uh, despite the stereotype of it people loving to to lock down users i mean i don't love to lock them down but it's like a poor tool but it helps slow people down and they stop and they go, I have this thing, I'd like it installed, you know, and then you can, you know, I, I, I don't want to think it paternalistically, it's more of like a, hey, buddy, st sanity check, you know, and I hope that people would do the same for me. It's like, what are we installing today? Like, and so hopefully we can, you know, consider whether it's a, a quick download of like world's best video encoder, or maybe it's, you know, real or maybe it's not, or world's best Minecraft data pack. Um, how do we evaluate these things? And contain them or I guess, you know, generate logs. We all like logs and looking through logs. Hopefully we can all work together and and and, and treat people uh, with some respect because we're all trying to do jobs. And sometimes I feel like there's this fight between security and the other people doing their jobs, you know, and 
Security's like, no, you can't do that. And the other people are like, but we want to do our job. You know, it's like, how do we do things safely? You know, uh, how, how, do we, how do we solve this, uh, Aspen? How do we make things I secure? <laughs> I, I have friends, you know, from this is admin days. And I have them, uh, I still talk to them. They've moved on. And they're like, it's this admin at like larger companies or, or maybe now they're in security, but they both have the same perspective of our IT teams are arguing with this, like security ops teams. And, and I, I might see that here at Crouch, not here at Crouch, but you know, Crouch customers might have the same thing too in, in their environment where uh, with security, you want to be secure, but there has to be some usability. You know, locking things down is, is um, you know, just taking a hammer to something and just smashing it. And, and you might have some issues with customers, I mean, with end users because they can't, you know, use the tools that they need or want. I always chuckle a bit on Mac when I, when I see, because I, I like that Mac, what they do when, when you download something with the same file name, it's like a one, two, three, just, they just pin that at the end. And I can always see someone trying to run malware because it's like one, two, three. I'm like, how many times did you try to run this malware <laughs> before you realized it was malware? Oh man, so it, it's a problem that I, I, I'm definitely still trying to sort out my own my brain of how to make the two teams work together as well as in, in, like get the user input and, and all three perspectives need to, to, to gel it together to get a solution. But right now I don't have that. Not, just, not for me. Ben brought up uh, the fact of, you know, installing software, like installing an AV vendor software is one task that is sometimes easy and sometimes hard. Then we have to deal with users going, I can't use my computer because the AV software is, you know, using up all my CPU or, you know, maybe it is, maybe it isn't, or maybe it's analyzing all the things, or maybe it's futuristically preventing with, you know, awesome AI detecting everything. (laughs) Yeah, I'm again I'm harping back to my IET days, but I definitely remember having that bias of why is my server all automatically uh, all of a sudden slow? It has to be this AV that I just installed. Let me uninstall it real quick. Oh, still slow. I guess I should reinstall my AV. You know, it's the first thing you do when you have any issues: slow, uh, crashing. Uh, you know, a lot of resources. Uninstall AV. See what happens. <laughs> and, that, and that maybe shouldn't be. Um, maybe that shouldn't be the first step. You know, maybe I shouldn't be. <laughs> maybe there should be more to do there. Ben, what are you doing to help <laughs> your customers be secure? <laughs> what are you even doing? Uh, I wonder that all the time. Um, so that, it's an interesting question because particularly, all right, so let's, let's pick on the creatives for a moment. And, and it's not really pick on them, but it's like here are people who are so amazingly creative and and you just want to give them all the tools in the world you want to give them the 64 crayon box and when you limit how you know i i I need this font or i want this filter or i want this i want that because i've got this vision i've got this idea and then you put a layer between their creativity and the security okay well you can't you need to talk to us first before you put that on or you can't put that on because it's it's unvented or yeah we'll we'll get to that but i'll need a couple of days because i'm just slammed and i've got to do all this other stuff and now you're you're potentially cutting into their productivity so yeah it's it's a real issue where do you 
draw the limits? Where do you say, here, you've got free reign to do what you want to do, but you can't do everything because you might hurt your computer? So I've really seen a wide range of answers to this. Some of it has been, we, we keep the files safe. You know, the, the actual work product is kept here. It's safe. And if you want to go off and destroy your computer, that's fine, because we have a way of reconstituting it. We can, we can take your computer and we can re... Uh, I was about to say re-image that, but uh, redeploy it. Imaging is dead, Ben. Yes, I know. I know. I caught myself. I caught myself. <laughs> and uh, I have a, customer, a couple of customers that... Uh, can you talk to them for me? Uh, but... <laughs> If, if really what's important is the end result, the, the final file, the final data, and just look at the computer as a tool that can break, that can be replaced, that can be uh, swapped out, then as long as the data is safe, it doesn't matter what happens to the computer because we can fix that. But we don't, particularly over this past year, where users have had quick, easy access to support folks, they haven't necessarily been able to reconstitute computers so quickly. So you had to think, well, what do we do to protect them from malware, from uh, ransomware, from all these things? How, do the, how does it come in? How does it present itself? Do we need to do education? Do we need to uh, apply some sort of technological product to help prevent it? And there's no one single answer. It's how does the company tolerate risk? And what are they set up to do? If you have a company that's set up that they can reconstitute a device pretty quickly, then you can go down one path. If you have a completely remote, almost unsupported uh, group of users, then maybe you want to be a little bit more cautious because you're not going to be able to fix things as quickly as you can. So it really... It depends, you know, big air quote, it depends. You just have to come up with the solution that's right for the customer. That's one of the things I try to help them with. Sometimes they're great and they listen. Sometimes they're just like, well, this is the way that we're going to do it. And it's like, okay, you know, I'll, I'll be here to help out. Just really depends on the circumstance. But user education is becoming more and more and more critical because make a mistake and the next thing you know, your busiest, most important Pipeline, petroleum pipeline, get shut down. You're very diplomatic and very kind, Ben, to your customers and clients. Well, they shut down shipping gas and oil because they couldn't bill it. Yep. So, so you yep. need to think about the the whole ecosystem, right? Not just protect the 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 pipeline controls, which they did, but they didn't protect their billing system. Right. Yeah, it, that, that was a very, very... This is going to be studied for a long time. Yeah. And I'm actually really surprised that there hasn't been more discussion on the fact that it wasn't the pipeline controls that was the issue. They, they stated that we did it to protect it, but you're absolutely right. It was the company data that they went, oh, well, this is compromised. And since we can't track and bill and all that kind of stuff, we're just going to really shut everything else down. Your background, Ben, in, in storage like mine has led to trusting and loving backup software and archive software and tapes and other every solution to backup and protect data. Um, my early days with XN made me very PTSD and loving of backups. Uh, so 
Oh yeah. Having recently had two customers uh, have ransomware, you know, it made me realize that you know protecting from mechanical and human failure is also a good good solutions are there for uh, the ransomware too. And so protecting data is definitely uh, important. The users we need to protect their tools and their livelihoods yeah. and their ability to make products and. I mean, I've had too many conversations with creatives about why they need passwords. And I'm like, yeah, passwords suck. You know, Touch ID is awesome. And other biometric or hardware security could solve the, why do I have a stupid password? But, you know, having one password shared by everyone in the company is not a great solution to the passwords suck, you know, or sticky notes. That's that's not a good solution? No. Mm, no, oh, no, no. Okay. I'm going to have to ask you to update that password that we share, JD. <laughs> okay. It's, it's one, two, three, four. It's the same as my luggage. Uh, updating everything with, uh, you know, two factors also leads to some issues or, you know, I'm covering from a, a colleague and transferring my, getting me access to all the systems and now having to set up two factor or some systems I have passwords for, but not two factor. And so it's like, everything's secure. <laughs> it's awesome. I can't get into this. <laughs> Because a lot of things are like just, you know, business procedures and like operations and stuff. Um, and so it's really going to, you know, be dependent on the, the company. Like for Ben said, the, that risk assessment, you know, like you're in your risk tolerance. Because I have seen those creative types go out and maybe download some pirated versions because they just couldn't wait. They couldn't, they couldn't wait to get their hands on a license. And those pirate versions, you know, I would say nine times out of ten, just just bad. Stay away. Not worth it. Just wait. But then there's an issue again with, you know, how long do they have to wait before they get to that tool to get their idea out of their head and, and just, you know, onto whatever screen or stuff that they use. I've brought it up a couple times with security teams. I'm like, what's your service level agreement with this department? And they're like, there is none. I'm like, OK, you know, it's like. You need one. Uh, <laughs> you need one. <laughs> but, you know. Sometimes that, that comes down to, to the executives who, you know, are trying to pinch every penny, don't actually see their employees as assets, think that everything is, is just replaceable, at, at, you know, at, at the snap of a finger. And, uh, you know, that, that's just not the case. If we, if we train our users to, to treat their tools well, which includes their computers and, and the software and applications that they're using, like we used to when we used to have apprenticeship programs where if you're learning woodworking, you treat your chisels well, I think we would get a lot farther and, and have less uh, of people uh, breaking things because they, they accidentally clicked on, on something they, they didn't mean to. And that, that would make life a lot easier on, on all of us, not, not just if on the user support side of it, but the user experience as well. One thing that I am seeing, which is, I think, a really big plus, the storage companies are starting to put tools into place like object locking and immutable areas that protect against ransomware and other kind of hits. And I think that was a really necessary step because all of the other things, you know, the, the anti-malware, anti-virus, anti anti-anti uh, software. None of it's 100% perfect. Something's going to slip through. There's always going to be a zero day. People are going to make mistakes. People are going to do things that they shouldn't do. Put that combination together, and that's the perfect storm for problems. Uh, at least now on the data storage side, we have some tools that can help us if the worst happens. 
And it's just another layer of protection for our, our data and our ability to, to put out work product. So that's a, that's, a, that's a neat thing that has been happening relatively recently. I'm seeing it more both on the uh, storage vendors themselves, the software vendors, the backup uh, vendors, the cloud vendors. They're coming up with a lot of solutions for absolutely 100% protecting the, the data. In one of my classes last year, I read, I don't know if I'm going to get this right, or I'm probably going to say it wrong, but I read that um, it's not always about preventing yourself from being hacked because everybody gets hacked. It's about knowing whether or not you've been hacked, right? Or like knowing whether or not you've been, you know, you're in the line of fire. Um, and I think that that's, that's, that kind of speaks to what you were saying. Is that like a fish doesn't really know it's wet? Kinda, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I see some of my bigger customers relying on a lot of automated scans or contracted out companies, and and that's great because you need all the help you can get these days if you're shipping your logs off or having someone analyze it. But sometimes you get back a report and you're not really sure what to make of it, or there's an automated analysis. Maybe there's just not enough uh, bodies on the teams to, to help uh, be point people. I mean. I usually get hired as an embedded IT helping a department communicate with all the other teams, you know, because we need more people to carry, you know, projects through or work with the, the other technical teams and IT teams. Aspen, maybe I'd like to ask you, like if you're um, on the Mac side uh, looking for malware, I mean, what, what are you seeing in terms of like either persistence or attack vectors or what, what interesting things have you seen? Yeah, the attack vector, at least for the stuff that I track, except for the supply chain one, has been just, you know, social engineering, downloading pirated apps. Sadly, a lot of people will use their work computer for everything. They'll use it for streaming, they'll use it for gaming. So there should definitely be a separation of like your personal work and your work work on two separate devices. Don't cross that because a lot of times some of those streaming sites not the Netflix one, the sketchy ones, you know, you know what I'm talking about, the ones you might go to to watch a, a sports game because you don't have cable. I'm not, I'm not going to call any names, but they go there. And, and sometimes they have ads that are infected and they do like drive-by downloads and they just, just spam you with pop-ups. You're like, hey, if you want to watch this game, you have to download Adobe Flash and on a Mac. And it, there's no, no reason, no reason at all to need Adobe Flash. But if you're a user and the only page you see is download Adobe Flash and you want to watch the game, of course you're going to say yes to get to the game. So definitely separation of your personal work life. Uh, I've seen people download uh, sketchy video games and then they get, you know, infected. And I'm just like, I feel like that Archer meme of do you want ants? Because this is how you get ants. Ants all on your machine. So that's, that, that's more for like users. And I try to do that as well with separating my work and personal life because I might be uh, more inclined to do bad things on my personal laptop than I am on my work laptop. So If the personal laptop's hacked, you're not also potentially exposing a whole bunch of your work yeah. data, yep. right? Yep, yep, yep. That is a, it's a lot thing. of breadcrumbs that get left behind, even on a work laptop, even if all that data is in the cloud. So that's that's one. So that's the uh, vector. And then once it's on there, they just, you know, drop a plist right into your launch agents, you know, either on the user or on the, you know, the main login. 
and and that's normal like it, it definitely mimics normal installer behavior which can be a challenge for some companies to try to monitor and attack and to attack properly and defend against and then so that's how they persist in those plist files and your launch agents and then from there at least with you know slayer slayer is just a downloader it's going to download whatever it's kind of like adware service it's like you pay me and i'll get i'll get your adware on all kinds of macs because people just love to watch sport games or you know crack software and then boom they and they just download all their you know adware friends and then they just keep keep doing it every they persist through you know, running and then creating unique macro files every single day almost. Seems like a growth industry, uh, infection and detection. <laughs> I think if you do any like web, uh, web app bug bounties or just tracking advertisements because it's adware, they, they, again, they use all the same, you know, techniques or just, you know, behavior that someone would do. They would they add on different like you know the the upm you know the ad that on because they want to track how effective their ads are you know and and how, how well their campaign is so it, it's it's a nice blend of like legitimate activity with some with some really bad fatty activity as i call it so protecting yourself uh, step one is to install a raspberry pi pi hole or subscribe to some other uh, useful dns service there's multiple services that are free i think as well as some paid ones uh to have different DNS servers that may block yeah, spamware or porn or whatever or undesirable or whatever you don't want. Maybe you want porn, but maybe you want the good stuff. I don't know. What people want to watch is their, their own business. But uh, yeah, you want to decide what ads are getting served or what networks are you're connecting to. And uh, it becomes a challenge, though, because even legitimate things won't work if you are blocking ads network wide. It really is becoming a challenge uh, in in some of these spaces to use even thing you know something like Office 365 online and Microsoft will block the entire app if you have ad blocking turned on. A lot of the parental controls, like on iOS, will block the term Asian. You can't search for anything Asian. I'm like, come on, I'm like what are you talking about? Like it's like. You know, so these block lists sometimes are way too general. Like I was looking up uh, Mike Bombick's uh, Carbon Copy Cloner app at uh, one client site. And of course, the guy's name, Bombick, Bomb, um, was blocked by the, by the, the you know, the web, the, the web filter, you know. So what were you really searching for, Matt? Backup software. <laughs> 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 I, was like, uh, I was like, I just want to download the new, oh, man. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> Two canoes. <laughs> Two canoes, yeah. Uh, you, yeah. It's, uh, yeah, everyone's subscribing to different lists to block ads or block, you know, bad, potentially bad terms, but we get it all wrong. <laughs> you know, like, kind of like uh, back when we had RBLs for, for email servers and such. And good luck if you ever got your domain somehow on an RBL, you were out of business until you somehow could get it back alive again yeah now we're just doing the same thing just slightly different yeah after xn running my own mail server was definitely ptsd causing <laughs> <laughs> like knee deep in command line with postfix and trying to stop spam and it's like oh yeah i mean totally off topic but that brought up some horrible memories of having to like have a customer call me back in the it days of help we can't send out any mail it's bouncing back across our like multiple users and you just dive through that rabbit hole to find out their domain was blacklisted 
because one user fell for social engineering. He basically gave over her credentials and they logged in and just, you know, set up a, uh, set up and used their account as uh, just to spam everyone. And so someone was reported a spam and that just blocked their whole domain within like hours. And, and they were down hours afterwards. And oh man, just the, the PTSD from getting a call like that is just like, oh, <laughs> it takes forever to, for DNS to update too. Yeah, that was back in the day. It was probably a three-day... Uh, yep, <laughs> at least yeah. 24 hours, at least. Yeah, the next time we do Mac DevOps in person, I definitely have to have a, like a PTSD healing room for all of us. That, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it's just puppies or uh, oh, kittens. Scotch. Uh, Scotch. Could be Scotch. Maybe uh, different, different I, rooms. I behind that. Different rooms, but... Uh, <laughs> how has the pandemic uh, changed your work, Aspen? Not much, actually. CrowdStrike before the pandemic was like 60-something percent remote to begin with. We were, all, we were all on the Zoom train before Zoom became a verb and an adjective and, and a way of describing how you felt, <laughs> like if you were fatigued, you know, all that. Uh, we were on that. And so not much of a transition. I, I was already working part, part remote and then I just switched full remote. But then um, what changed for me was that uh, after work, I would do some bug bounties or I would do some reverse engineering or I would do some malware development. You didn't hear me say that. <laughs> malware development. And um, <laughs> to learn. It was a learning experience. But then the, during the pandemic of just being at my desk at home all day long, the thought of, you know, being on my desk on my computer for a couple more hours. You know what? No, I'm going to go outside, going to walk. Uh, get some sun, get some, I get a tan, garden. I've been doing gardening now instead of bug bounties is gardening because it gets me outside and I'm working out. Uh, I can't, I can't do it anymore. Like I used to. So sad. And different kinds of bugs. Yeah. <laughs> different type of bugs. I hate bugs. <laughs> like I hate salt. bugs. Let me go play in the dirt. <laughs> <laughs> Can we talk about your choice of, uh, of, uh, hobbies? <laughs> Growing food is the most noble of hobbies, Ben. It is. It is. I don't. I don't like to grow uh, non-edible food. I'm all about edible food because what's the point of gardening if it just roses? That's just my personal opinion. I don't want to offend any gardeners out there. <laughs> but I, I yeah, it, it's been it's been fun. Really frustrating, uh, and it's kind of similar, like you know, troubleshooting. Like why is my plant dying? You know, <laughs> just googling why why do I see other leaves, and then you get a solution. So it uses the same you know problem solving skill set but just not in front of a computer screen, but, you know, outside. That's been my uh, mental health uh, yeah. coping mechanisms, which is funny because I, well, I wasn't lying. I do not like bugs. Software bugs, I hate them. Uh, like, real bugs, I'm terrified. I have no idea why I'm gardening when I have to, like, scream to my husband, like, oh, it's a bug, kill it, you know, <laughs> whenever I'm outside. Squash all the bugs. <laughs> May you live in bug-free uh, peace. Ben, how has the pandemic affected you uh, this past year? Well, the family's still alive, so that's that's a good thing. We didn't we didn't like kill one another, you know, due to being like cooped up or anything. Uh, so it's been goodness. interesting. Yeah, <laughs> none of my kid, you know, my, my whole family, there none of them are tiny anymore. So there there'd be no bets on who would actually win. So we just kept that in mind. Okay, so what did <laughs> how did we actually uh, deal with this? Getting back on track. So interestingly, a lot of my customers, we had already gotten them to the point where whether the users were remote or needed to be remote, because everybody wanted laptops, no one wanted desktops anymore, unless they had a really specialized need for it. 
So in a sense, when the shutdowns happened and they just went, okay, take home your laptop. And they kept working because we already had everything in place, which was not very good for my billing. But, you know, professionally, I was, I was very proud of this. I was very happy that my, my customers were able to just keep working without a whole lot of change. I think that a lot of the changes are going to happen in this next year, though. I think that as people get back to kind of air quotes normal, I think that they're going to question what normal really is. And I think that's where a lot of the opportunities are going to lie. It's going to be the, the tweaking of how they do their workflows. You know, from the video side, we had people who pretty much sequestered their editors into edit bays. And that's just how they did their work. And now they're discovering, you know what? Maybe we don't need... 200, 300, 400 terabytes of storage all in one place where everybody needs to share it on a fiber channel SAN, maybe we have uh, other opportunities and now we can just send our editors out wherever they want to be and we'll work that way from now on. Or even just our rank and file users, let's just keep them mobile. Let's just keep them out there. And what do we need to do to, to make their situation better? And I'm, I'm hoping that my client base will take that seriously and we can work on making the solutions better for everybody. Yeah. So, looking forward to it. Really am. There, there's definitely going to be a big swath of people of management that trust their users, that trust their employees and will let them continue working from home or, or do what they want to, to fulfill their job. And then there's the, the rest of them that really don't trust it, their employees and will want to have them in the office and be able to manage them and stroke their right. egos. It's a balance. Yeah, it's quality of life. I remember Shana telling me that she enjoyed not commuting. Yeah, when you have to drive an hour back and forth each way, that's like, you know, what, 10 hours a week in the car? That's, that's a lot of time. <laughs> and now I spend that 10 hours a week like, you know, gardening, or uh, which I do not grow vegetables or anything because they always die, and I grow roses. So, to your point, <laughs> um, but you get time back, and I think you know it's very important, um, especially in a day and age when we're kind of expected to work all the time. Um, I don't know if you guys have companies that like tell you that you can um, you have like they have an unlimited time off policy or whatever. That's not really unlimited, right? Like you're like can I take time off? And they're like, yeah, no, because you have this project or blah, blah, blah. And now it's kind of harder to pull that off, right? Because we're all at home. And I feel like if you want to go somewhere or do something, you, you can, because um, you're remote. So I think it gives people more balance. And I think that, that that, you know, gives people a better quality of life. So I agree with that. I find that the more managers that just embrace the concept of here is the end result that we want. This is about when we need it done. Has that happened? And yeah, it did. Great. So who cares if a worker needed to go run out and take their kid to, you know, a, a dentist appointment at, at two 30 in the afternoon, you know, why do you need to have your, users all lined up like ducks so you can look out over them it's just gonna make the the 
the people doing the work happier that they have some flexibility. Now, there are certain jobs that people absolutely 100% have to be at a certain place for a certain amount of time. Those jobs do exist. We have to really look at, though, when is that truly appropriate? And when can we just say, did you get the job done? You did? Awesome. And not worry about all the other pieces. You know, there are some people who like to wake up at, you know, three o'clock in the morning because that's when their brain works great. And, you know, they'll plow through a few hours worth of work. I mean, I think we've all had this situation when we've worked in offices where for some reason or another, we have to get into the office super early just for whatever reason. And then you discover in that first hour or two before everybody else comes in, you got like a whole day's work done in like two hours rather than the sit around for eight, which is actually nine or 10 because of the constant distractions and such. So there's a balance to be had. You just need people who are willing to explore them. Aspen, you miss going into the office, you know, joking all day with your uh, coworkers. I do. That was the, that's, I guess I've always thought of myself as an introvert, but during this pandemic, we realized I do enjoy human interaction, physical, like, not, not, you know, in the person, in the flesh, instead of over Zoom. It's always a different experience. So I, I miss that. I, I, I've heard people reporting about how, like, you know, once everything goes back, what is the new normal? People are having anxiety of going back to the office and interacting with people again. And I'm like, yeah, yeah totally me. <laughs> I don't know if I'm like weird now, <laughs> you know, develop some new antisocial, uh, you know, traits, but I, I miss that just the interaction with those people in the office. But my team, the team that I work on, we are globally dispersed. So I, I'm used to the different time zones and working with them. And, and thankfully we have managers uh, that, uh, that trust us like what Ben said, trust and offering flexibility because we have some people who are night owls and they work better at night. Even though they might have like a eight to five schedule, do they do eight to five? No, but do they do eight hours in a day? Definitely, sometimes even more. And it's because they have that flexibility in terms of like how and when they, when they do get to work because we have a lot of parents on our team and uh, young parents, like, you know, like with young kids. So I know one person, he might not be around in the morning because kids are awake and he has to deal with them. But at night when they're asleep, it's on and popping and he's just cranking out all kinds of work. But uh, I definitely see him online at midnight, his time, and I'm like, go to bed. And he's just like, I'm just feeling, I'm just getting in the zone, you know? <laughs> because of the pandemic, there's been a lot of people who are um, more sensitive to the fact that people have things going on at home. Um, you know, because not only are people, you know, sick and coming down with like a virus that could kill them, um, you also have people that are working with, you know, smaller kids or, you know, a lot of my team is in, in New York and like everybody lives in an apartment there, so they don't have a ton of space. So, you know, you'll be working here and your significant other will be working right next to you. So it's kind of noisy. And, you know, I think that, that now that we've kind of been in this situation, I find people are more empathetic to everybody else's like home situation and we now have time to be present with our with our families which we didn't have before and now kind of in retrospect looking back at how things could have worked out I had my daughter during the pandemic and <laughs> she's you know a pandemic baby and I think about like oh my god what if I would have had to like actually go into the office 
she'd have to go to daycare or something. Like, I don't, I'd have to figure out some type of, you know, daytime thing for her. And she's so small and that makes me nervous, you know, weirdly and oddly grateful that, that we're in this space as a collective. (laughs) Yeah. Ben, how do we find you on the internet? Well, you can uh, go to my website, which is www.cadimac.com, K-A-D-I-M-A-C.com. I I can be found on various social medias uh, under Cadimac, or just uh, look up my name. I'm really easy to find. Glad to talk to you. Thank you, Ben. Aspen, how do we find you on the internet? Ah, that's a good question. I try not to be found on the internet. Um... I'm like really adverse to social media, but no, uh, um, I am on LinkedIn and uh, I think just under my name. And I also am on Twitter as salty popcorn underscore RE. Not really active on social media, uh, but if you reach out to me, hopefully one day I'll reinstall the apps on my phone and uh, respond. <laughs> well, thank you so much to Ben and Aspen for joining us today on the Mac DevOps podcast. We're looking very much forward to hearing you at the conference. I'm glad that uh, you have agreed to join us and it's going to be an amazing, awesome conference. The schedule is online. I look forward to seeing everybody at the conference. Uh, thank you so much, uh, Ben and Aspen, for joining us. The Mac DevOps YVR conference and podcast is looking for sponsors. Support and encourage developers in IT to work together to solve problems for our community by sponsoring Mac DevOps. If you're interested in sponsoring the Mac DevOps YVR conference and podcast, send an email to hello at mdoyvr.com. Thank you to our awesome Mac DevOps sponsors. This year for Mac DevOps 2021, our platinum sponsor is Mac Stadium. Thank you so much. They are also sponsoring our Hack Night. This year, a new sponsor, our gold sponsor, Swiss Flow AG with their Mac Bare Metal instance. Awesome. Thank you so much. Our silver sponsor is Simple MDM. Thank you, Taylor. We have a new live sponsor. We have Fleet DM. They are sponsoring the live feed. Thank you. We have Adagy as our MDM panel sponsor. We couldn't do this conference without our sponsors. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us today for the Mac DevOps podcast. Thank you to our guests. And thank you to our co-hosts. Today's episode was edited by J.D. Strong. Please like and share this podcast on your favorite podcast service. I thought every Canadian household had a Tim Hortons built into it.